0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. I just want to read you a poem uh, this morning that I read yesterday. Actually, a friend of mine wrote it. Now, she didn't write it from God. Uh, She definitely didn't. But I want you to imagine these words from God uh, this morning as I read them to you. It says this. It says, I see you, Mama, laden with bags, groceries, parcels, school bags, and the ever overflowing bag you carry filled with everything the kids might need someday. I see the never-ending thoughts, the planning, what's for lunch, what's for dinner, what time do we need to leave for school whose birthday party is this weekend? I see the juggle, how many days do I work, who do I trust with my kids, who, what do they need from me, do I care for myself or love them? I see you, Mama. The days are long, but the years are short. Time seems to be passing too quick and they are growing too fast. All I want for Mother's Day is to stop and adore you, hold you, love you. Make it stop the spinning and never-ending to-do list just so I can be with you and be. I see you, Mama. You don't notice, but you're changing the world one nappy change at a time, one broken sleep at a time. You're instilling strength, courage, tenacity, love, and joy into the world. I know you think that you're not enough. You think you should do more, give more, provide more, love more, be more. Whatever you have to give each day is always more than enough. All strength and power to you, mama, your bravery and beauty outshine them all. May you know your worth today and always. And so mums, you're, uh, you are amazing. And uh, we're going to head into the third and final part of our imperfect family right now. So our verse, James chapter 4, 1 to 2, is what we started with. It says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Does your imperfect family have any quarrels or fights? No, whatever, fine. Uh, Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. We aren't getting what we want. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this concept of our imperfect family. Lord, we thank you that imperfect doesn't mean bad. Imperfect doesn't mean miserable. Imperfect doesn't mean dysfunctional. But Lord, imperfect means that we are human and that we need you. And so, Lord, we invite you into every imperfect family, every household, whatever that looks like this morning. And we say thank you for who you are and for what you've done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. so, um, hey there. I'm glad for this mic, actually, because every point today will be done in song. And so, um, so as we look at what we've just, quick recap, we come into every uh, family with great expectations, whether informed by our family of origin in reaction or inspired by them saying, I don't want to do it like that, or I love that, I want my family to be like that, by our family of origin, by popular culture, or whether by, um, you know, informed by Jane Austen or whatever it might be. Uh, popular culture or family of origin or even our own wiring, the way that we express and experience love and the way that we have our deepest needs as according to our temperament. So we have these great expectations, which sometimes turn into the image that we idolise. And we looked at idols and the fact that idols can be worshipped, but at the end of the day, they're not real. That uh, no, the golden calf was not real, did not bring them out of Egypt. That Abraham's um, father's workshop full of idols were not real. And also Instagram isn't real. The image we idolise is not real. We went further and said that, uh, that you don't complete me, that the most romantic line in Jerry Maguire is actually untrue. It's very unfortunate. But fortunately, the funniest scene in Jerry Maguire, help me help you help everybody, is actually a question that we can ask, what are their needs? What do you need from me? And we looked at the fact that the health of that question and and what we then determine the following question, which is what's on me, can be determined by how healthy we are in ourselves, whether we're empowered and secure or abandoned and unhinged, that that will formulate the soundtrack that's being played in our head, even as we ask that question. Which leads me to these questions. Have you identified your great expectations? Have you identified them? Do you know, if you have, where they come from? For example, uh, we talked in the first week about Darren, uh, how he he really desperately wanted me to be a brilliant housekeeper and how that is something that I really have to work at. And uh, in fact, that we worked out about seven years into marriage, it was because he thought he was marrying his mother. Um, But but in fact, everyone does it, absolutely everyone. And, And I had on my list, my prayer list from 14 years old for a husband that I would have a husband who could sing And my husband is the epitome of tone deafness. But I had this in my head because my favourite couples at Easter conventions were Irene and Phil Bramble and Mike and Beck Neal who sang items in four-part harmony. And I thought that that's what a successful marriage looked like, someone that you could sing with. Yes, Mike and Christelle, I see you. I'm not jealous. I've worked through it. (laughs) The struggle is real. And whether your um, things are as as trivial as that, and I understand that mine is a whole lot more trivial than Daz's, whether it's as trivial as that or deep-seated and and, and this heartfelt desire and comes from somewhere deep within you that uh, do you know what it is and do you know where it comes from? Um, Have you recognised that they don't complete you, that Jesus is the only one who will complete you? That Jesus is the only one who's promised life and he's the only one who can give life, that no one else can give that to you. They don't complete you. Have you realized that? Have you identified their needs? Have you identified what their needs are? Have you spelled them out? Have you even gotten one? And have you realized what's not on you because the fact is you don't complete them either? And so we head into the last and final installment. And my question for you is what do I want here? what do I want here? We kind of looked at the other person and we haven't explored the question, well, what do I want? And that is actually important. You know, you wouldn't have to worry about this question right now if we just reinstate Ketubahs. Ketubas, that's right, not Katumba, that beautiful quaint town in the Blue Mountains where people go to die of freezingness. But actually Katuba. Katuba was a marriage agreement. It was like a memorandum of understanding. And in fact, if you um, went against your katumba, not katumba, Ketubah, if you went against your Ketubah, that you could be accused of marital unfaithfulness to the Ketubah. We've got a version of this. Uh, it's really just for rich people who are marrying people way hotter than they'd be able to if they were poor. We call it a prenup. But 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 that's not what a katuba is. A katuba was a, a specificity of responsibility. It's built out what everyone was supposed to do. How much time on the PS4 is acceptable while the other person is cooking, cleaning, bathing and shopping? How much is actually allowed? How much time buried in the phone is acceptable when everyone else is talking to you and and you're not actually listening to them. What's an acceptable time? They would spell out the specificity of responsibility for each person involved in the marriage. And I wonder if we had that as it relates to households, if we would just be so much better off this memorandum of understanding that listed everything. And being human, you know what? It would be no easier, but we'd be a long way towards understanding what our expectations were with a ketubah. Like I said, if... If you, you know, you, you might be thinking, well, we do have a Ketubah Bron. We, we, it was our marriage vows. Well, come on, guys, show of hands. Who knows their marriage vows off by heart? Like, just let me know right now. I can't see you. Don't worry about it. But, but who, who, who knows that? Oh, I don't know my marriage vows off by heart. I said it after the minister. I didn't even know them off by heart back then. I certainly don't 20 years later. And in fact, our marriage vows have been so dumbed down in the modern world. If we're working off popular culture, if we're working off one of the most famous marriages in our century, that of Chandler to Monica, Chandler said this to Monica in his marriage vows. He said, he said, he said, he said, (laughs) he said, I thought this was going to be the most difficult thing I ever had to do when they're standing at the altar together. But when I saw you walking down the aisle, I realised how simple it was. I love you. You are the person I was meant to spend the rest of my life with. Those were Chandler's vows to Monica. So Chandler, want to promise anything, like just anything. Do you want to promise something? No. This is what Amy Santiago said to Jake Peralta at their wedding. Life is unpredictable. Nothing, not everything's in our control. But as long as you're with the right people, you can handle anything. And you, Jake Peralta, are the right person for me. But I do have some bad news. There is a bomb at this wedding. Your butt is the bomb and there will be no survivors. That's not a marriage vow, Amy Santiago. And you should know better because you are incredibly clever. Our marriage vows have been, had all the promises stripped away from them. And even if we still had promises in them, like I promise to be with you, even if you get sick and poor, that we forget, them, we don't hold them front of mind and, and, and pride of place. So our ketubas have really fallen apart. If we had Katoobas, something like this would not have happened with Daz and I where we got, you know, a couple of years ago when the kids were now at school all the time and, and I began to work full time as I could and, and, uh, and, and Daz came to me and said, Bron, our life is too busy. We need to slow down. In fact, you need to slow down. You need to stop working full time. We, we can't handle it. Our lives can't handle it. And I was like, oh, I, I, need, to, I need to slow down in order for our lives to work. I, I, okay. And Daz was like oh, you don't want to slow down? Like you're not even getting paid. Don't you want to slow down and and make it easier on our family? Oh, okay, you want to work full time. Well, let's see how we can facilitate that. That would never have been a necessary conversation if we had have outlined our expectations right at the start down to that kind of specificity. (laughs) Not a word. (laughs) You know, we could have outlined what our expectations would be on our children. And uh, then we wouldn't have had to play catch up where we're trying to install in them chores now, regular chores. And now we, we, we've got to quickly try and catch up so that when they eventually have households of their own and someone asks them to do something, they don't do what they currently do with us, which is, why? I did it last week. This house has become the Gestapo. And, uh, and, and we wouldn't have had that kind of problem because we would have facilitated. I'm just kidding, children. Actually, I'm just kidding, children. They made me breakfast this morning. They're the best kids in the world. Okay, So let me tell you, as it relates to what your expectations are, I would say, let them know what you desire and then place their needs a little higher. Let them know what you desire, then place their needs a little higher. It'll light the morning sky with burning love. That's the first of my singing points. You're so blessed this morning. So um, here's why you've got to put your desires there and out there because your desires are there whether you articulate them or not, you have them. So whether they're articulated or inarticulated, they're there. So you may as well let people know what they are. And you might say, well, Bron, my housemate, it's not going to make the slightest bit of difference to them slobbing on the lounge. Well, just at least put it out there. Let's get it out there. Let's let them know because the fact is they have a much greater chance of being realised if they're just stated. Just simply by stating them, you up their chances of being realised. You might say, there's no way. It'll actually make me feel worse because they'll then be willfully ignored rather than what I can justify now. But the fact is is that you need to get them out or or as like my friend Shrek says out than in, I always say. Better out than in. It's true. Better out than in. Better out than in. And and, and Psalm 32 specifically is talking about David and unconfessed sin. But he says this, he says that my bones are wasting away because I kept silent and my groaning all night long was just in me. It was because I kept silent. Now he's talking about something specifically, but it's true that as we shove things down and fail to acknowledge them, that they do get on the inside of us and they churn us and they aren't good for us. And, And that brings us to the second part of the little ditty and then place their needs a little higher. I know that this is in opposition to every self-help book that you've ever read. It's even maybe in opposition to the air flight instructions, which says put your oxygen mask on first and then help other people. But I'm going to show you this morning, hopefully, that actually this is the way that you help yourself is by placing their needs a little higher. And uh, let me start with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm picturing like a whole lot of tension right now. I'm picturing like a husband looking at his wife, like right there in the book says it right there. I'm picturing a mother in law, like looking at the daughter in law, like, yes. That's right. Wives, submit to your husbands. I, I, I'm picturing a lot of tension right now in the room. And, and I just want to take you through this. Just take uh, the, the, the things off, the apprehensions off a little bit. You know, this verse actually doesn't have the word submit in it. Now, before you cast me out as a heretic, let's just look at it. In the Greek, it says, wives to their husbands as to the Lord. And the reason that it says that is it can only be made sense of with the preceding verse, which says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. That's how it makes sense. It makes sense in light of the previous verse. And let me tell you that anyone who is listening in the first century, the next part, when it says wives to your husbands, that did not come as a surprise to them. They were property of their husbands. Of course, they had to submit to their husbands. There were penalties. If they did not, that would not have come as any surprise. The surprise came later. Submit to each other would have been going, submit to each other? What? Wives to their husbands? Oh, that makes sense as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now I've read, I've done a whole lot of reading on this verse because I find submission particularly difficult. Just gonna be really upfront with you this morning. I've done a whole lot of reading. I've, I've heard people who know what they're talking about talk about this head um, being about the source or, or maybe it's not or whatever. I've done a whole lot of reading. The fact is, is that my instruction remains the same and that is to submit. And, and actually my job doesn't change with any kind of different reading, How whatever spin I want to put on this verse, my job remains the same, which is to submit. Now here is where it got real for the first century. It says husbands love your wives just as the Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, etc, talking about the church in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, who who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I've just kind of tangented to Christ and the church because I love Christ and the church so much. Verse 33, however, each one of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect the husband. And you know, what's interesting about this last verse is this is almost like the opposite of what the curse proclaims. You know, in the garden when the, Adam and Eve were faced with the consequences of their actions, what was pronounced was that the wife's desire would be for her husband and he would rule over her. And here we have the husband has to love the wife and the wife must respect The husband, it's kind of like this, what you need from each other can be supplied but in the framework of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is... This is mind-boggling. This is incredible. It goes on in chapter six and keeps giving instructions for Christian households. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It goes on and says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of an instruction of the Lord. Now, let me speak children for a moment. Kids, you're looking at this and going Bron I I see what you're preaching here That, that is no reflection on my household and and it isn't much of a reflection of any 21st century household but but you might be like Bron that says husbands lay down your life for your wife my dad comes home grabs a beer out of the fridge and heads out the back and we're not allowed to talk to him until he comes in for dinner, you might say, my mum's like, I've given up enough for this family and I'm not gonna do any more now, it's my time. And and so if they're like that, they're not fulfilling their part. So surely you don't expect me to honour my parents and not doing the right thing. Well, as Craig Rochelle says, respect is earned, but honour is given. Honour is given. And what it says here, you might say, well, my dad's always bugging me. He's always exasperating me. I don't even know what exasperating means, but I'm sure that what it is, that it's what he does. I feel completely exasperated right now. Whatever it might be, the instruction there is to the Father. And the instruction here is to you, to obey, to honour and the instruction is to me as a wife to submit to my husband. And the instruction for my husband is for him to lay down his life for me. But I can't make him lay down his life for me. I can only do what it's instructing me to do. And you can only do what it's instructing you to do this morning. So, so, so yes, make it known what you desire and place their needs a little higher because you can't make them fulfil your desire, but you can do what the Word of God asks you to do. I mean... 1 Peter at the moment and I got to the portion about slaves and, and, you know, I like when it comes to like Q&A on the TV and stuff like that, I, I recognise that these are the passages that get brought up and thrown to the Christians and the Christians don't always do the best job of them. And, and and in this passage in 1 Peter on Slaves, you can't say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. That's before Jesus. This is actually instructions to the New Testament church. What do you do with that? And I know that God's forever plan was inspiring a man, a Christian man like William Wilberforce to give him the deep conviction to see abolition happen and, and to give his life for it. I know that's the case. I know that that's God's forever plan, but here is an instruction. And so as I arrived at the next passage, I was like, God, is that as historically contexted as the passage that precedes it, or is this actually for today? So let me read to you from 1 Peter, chapter three. It says, "Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over with without words, by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence." Of your lives. Well, this is in keeping with Ephesians. It's a similar instruction. It doesn't have the the preface and the framework around it of submitting to each other. But but I can get my head around that. I can I can I can get on board with that. It's scripture. Uh, but it, it, I might have some difficulty explaining it to my friends who aren't Christians. But I can get on board with it. What about this next passage? It says, "Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner." Oh, ho, ho, ho. and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. You just got me weaker, Peter. You want to come down here? I'll show you weaker, Peter. I, I don't know what's happening right now. Um, and so, uh, here's—I just want to like—I I went to that verse and went, "Wow!" So I went back to the Greek to see what was there. And it says husbands, it doesn't say be considerate, but it says husbands dwell with your wives knowing with the knowledge that they are weaker. So yes, there it is in the Greek as well. And let me tell you again that in the first century, no one would have been going, what do you mean they're weaker? Everyone would have been, yeah, of course, they're they're weaker and and even as we head into ours, like physically I'm weaker than my husband. We like have wrestled, whoa, that sounds like information I shouldn't be passing out, but but we do have wrestles on the bed. Gosh, I don't know how to get out of this, but but you had to push the other person off the bed. This was early in marriage and, and I won sometimes because of my huge thighs. I, I, I don't know how to get away from this. So we're just going to move on with the Bible. And, uh, but I would say that, yes, we acknowledge that's why we have gendered sports, that often men are physically stronger. Back then it was in every way weaker, in privilege, in, in opportunity. And, and, and some of that, let's be honest, may even carry into now. But what we do know is that one in six women are are victims of domestic violence and one in 20 men. And let's say, well, men don't report as much. Okay, so let's double it. Let's say one in 10 men. Let's like use some astronomical figure and say one in 10. Well, that's still double women. And why? Because men are stronger. Now, stronger, particularly when used like that, is not better but it is a physical reality. So weaker, stronger, what does this mean? It goes on, it says, in the Greek, it says, Know that they're weaker and honour them as joint heirs of the grace of God. It doesn't just say, know that they're heirs. It says, honour them, know that they're weaker, see their weakness and lift them up as joint heirs of the grace of God. Why? So that your prayers won't be hindered. This is how much it matters to God that we don't see someone's weakness and put our finger in it and use it to manipulate and control them. But instead you see their weakness and lift them up to equality and say, hey, let me empower you in the midst of your weakness because you are equal to me as joint heirs of the grace of God somebody say amen (laughs) this is what it says finally all of you be like-minded be sympathetic love one another be compassionate and humble do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. you got to just, it's this deference battle. It's no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. No, what do you want? No, what do you want? No, what do you want? And not like Lockie who waits for the time where he can quickly say, oh, okay then, (laughs) but a real deference battle. What do you want? Let me help you. Help me help you help everybody. And so but you you might say, but Brian... You don't understand the circumstances of my household. If I were to put my desires out there, uh, they would not get even heard. And I would say to that, don't stop believing. Put your desires out there and don't stop believing. But don't hold on to that feeling. Or as we would like to say it, Don't stop believing. Don't hold on to that feeling. Don't stop believing. (laughs) Yes, Someone knows it. Um, don't stop believing, but don't hold on to that feeling. By holding on to that feeling, and like, sometimes I feel like we do this, we put out our desires almost as a, a test to say, well, show me. Prove to me that you will not do this as is my expectation. No, no, it's a putting out there and just leaving it there. Not giving the enemy a foothold, not letting the sun go down on our wrath, just putting it out there and not holding on to the feeling, not grasping on to the feeling. And and listen to this verse. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. So I'm talking about another level of not holding on to the feeling. You put out your desires and then you delight yourself in the Lord and allow Him to adjust, to realign, to, to, to make your desires what they're meant to be, to throw away stupid desires like wanting my husband to be a good singer, and, and And having desires that say, "I want to do everything I can to release and empower him," and sure, I want that in reverse, but my job is to to have him released and and let him do what He needs to do. Not stop believing for what I want, not stop believing for it, but asking God, like James said in James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, asking God instead and allowing Him to shift the motives of my heart as I delight myself in Him. This verse says you don't have because even when you ask, you ask awry. But in fact, He will change the motivation even of your heart as you ask if you delight yourself in Him. Just skip down. Don't stop believing, but don't hold on to that feeling. And finally, I want to give you a picture of what this could look like if we're all to do and live in this together. And you give yourself away. And you give your, You're like, stop singing the points, Brian. Okay, and you give yourself away. You give yourself away. Why? How? Why would you do that? Why would you do that knowing that you might not be appreciated? Why? We, why? Because in that, when you have made them known, let your desires be known. When you have championed the desires and the needs of the other person, when you have not stopped believing for what you want, but not held on to the, and gripped on and, and clenched onto the feeling, but actually just let that go and delighted yourself in the Lord. And then just given yourself to Him. There's this place of freedom. There's this place of trust in Him that actually he will meet your needs because that is the great fear. The great fear is if I look after their needs, who's looking after me? Who, because I, I know them. I know my housemates say i not going to look after me. I know my, I, I, I live by myself. Who's going to look after me? If I'm looking after other people, who is looking after me? Who's got me? And the answer is He's got you. He has got you. And if we live in the freedom of the knowledge of that and trust then we bring our complete selves, complete in Him to the environment. We give ourselves away. You might say, Brian, I just don't know that I can do it. I just don't know. I've got to wait for them to see if they can do it first. No, you go first. You go first. Why would you go first? Because of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. that says, While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He went first. He went first without Him going first. It says that before the foundation of the world, He made provision for our weakness. He didn't put His finger on our weakness and press it and, and use it to control us. But no, He lifted us up in our weakness and He went first. And so we can go first too. So let's pray as we head over to continue the conversation with three beautiful mums, Christelle from Canada. Kerry from Armadale, Trish from Tamworth. We're only missing Kerry Pollard from Gara, But let's, uh, let's pray and we can text those questions in. I want you to pray. If you've never realised that Jesus gave Himself away for you, I want you to acknowledge that fact this morning and maybe even accept that and use that and, and decide to follow Him and to stop going your own way and go His way. So Lord, we come to You this morning and, and Lord, we thank You for Your gift that You died for us while we were still sinners. You went first. We thank You for that. We acknowledge that this morning. Thank You, Lord, that You've put peace between You and us. And if you're in your lounge room right now and you just want to pray and say, I accept what You did for me on the cross. I accept new life. Make me new, Lord. You can go ahead and do that in your own words. But right now, Lord, I thank You for Your mercies that are new every day. And Lord, even as this Word has perhaps caused people to ask questions like, I wish I had known this, I I did this wrong. I pray that You'd free us from all guilt and any shame, Lord, but You would give us a second chance. Lord, thank You for every day that You give us another day to get up and have another crack. And Lord, we trust in Your new mercies. We pray for the empowerment, Lord, to put this Word, Your Word, Into action in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Just as we head over to the conversation on the website, uh, there's a a next steps tab. Go ahead and click on that, and and we'd love to empower you as you begin your journey with Christ. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done destiny to be pursued and people to be reached so what's your next step to find out head over to thechapelcollective.com.au and thanks again for listening